You're listening to episode 50 of the Reading Cove Book Club's podcast. If you're a book lover who may be interested in joining our online book club, please visit our website at thereadingcove.com. For January 2015, we're discussing The Dressmaker by Kate Alcott, and we're so excited to welcome Kate, who's joining us this month for the discussion. So hi, I am Millennia in Florida. I'm Roberta in Georgia. And I am Cheryl in Tucson, Arizona. And we're all members of the Reading Cove Book Club, and we're here to discuss The Dressmaker, which is our 170th pick, and it was chosen by Cove member Allie, who lives in Rhode Island. And we're all very excited to welcome the author of The Dressmaker, Kate Alcott, to join us today for the discussion. Welcome, Kate. Oh, thank you. It's very nice to be here. Yes, thank you so much. (laughs) Applause all around. We so appreciate you taking the time to join us. It's great. So overall, we all loved, we really enjoyed The Dressmaker and wanted to ask you to start us off by letting us know how you came to write the book. What inspired it? Well, there were several things, actually. I knew that the 100th anniversary of the Titanic was coming. Right. But I also knew that there had been something like, oh, 6,432 books written on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> so why would I want to uh, try running that route again myself? Right. And, um, but I realized the more I kind of looked into it, that very little had been written about the aftermath. There had been quite a lot written um, about what happened. Right. Uh, Everything is focused on the disaster itself, but not a whole lot. And then I ran across the transcripts of the um, Senate hearings, congressional hearings, Mm -hmm. right, which began the day after the survivors docked in New York. So you can imagine how fresh it all was. Right. And how traumatized they were. So when you start reading those documents, Each time I write a historical fiction novel, I want some touchstone to the past of Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. And reading those um, hearing documents was listening to the trauma and the rawness of the uh, experience of these people, many of whom who had lost children, had lost spouses. Right. Um, And they they had just been sufferers in one of the largest maritime disasters in modern history. Yep. So it brought them alive. And the various stories that came forth and, uh, and what people thought about what was done and wasn't done, and that whole human need to search out why, that drew me. And then I read about... Um, Lady Duff Gordon, mm-hmm. who was a survivor, an actual survivor of the ship sinking, and that uh, there were strong feelings that she, because she was a very autocratic woman and wanted things her way all the time, <laughs> uh, she had commandeered, the charge was, <clears throat> one of the large lifeboats that could have held Oh, 60 or 70 people with only about 12 on board and ordered it to be launched. Now, whether or not that really was true, I realized as I read more and more and searched, you know, that you never can know for sure. And that made me, that brought me more to the, um, to thinking about how we all react in disasters or when we have to make sudden decisions. And that you live with them forever after. 
And um, so that sort of was swirling in my head. And I thought, what about someone who saw the Titanic, this incredible ship that was about to leave for America as her one chance at a meaningful life? So, as all of you have read the opening scene, Tess is working as an upstairs maid, right? Mm -hmm. And taking out all the laundry. Uh, Well, now, Tess came out of, and you might say as I tell you the story, she is morphing with my mother. Wow. Wow. My mother was an upstairs maid. It was in Belfast. Uh, She walked out carrying all the linens, caught sight of herself, as I write in the opening scene of the book, caught sight of herself in a hall mirror down the end of the hall, holding all the dirty linens, her little cap on her head. And she told me later, she this, this eldest of six in an Irish farm family in Northern Ireland, she thought to herself, no, no. She took the hat off, threw it at the mirror, marched out, went down to the docks. <laughs> she couldn't book passage on a trip on a ship going directly to America. She had to go to Canada. Right. There were quotas by then. My mother was not of the same era, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> um, in case you were thinking that. <laughs> mm. So that was kind of the human start of the <clears throat> the um, fictional part of my story. And uh, and Lady Duff Gordon was the anchor to the hearings and to all of what went on. So that's how I got going on it. And, you know, it was, and it's a mesmerizing story because it encompasses everything about human nature. Do you know, I think there are only two other better known words, or so I've read, I won't swear to it, than Titanic, and they are God and Coca-Cola. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Universally recognized English words. Uh, those are the three. And, you know, when that book came out, we had a number of foreign uh, reprints, mm-hmm. and they were obviously interested. The Titanic has a universal appeal. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting that Tess is uh, kind of based on your mom. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Out to make a new life for herself. Someone has mentioned to me, actually, that uh, in these books, plus the historical novels I wrote under my own name, I almost always have someone, a young woman at the forefront who's been dealt a hand. Mm-hmm. It's never a great big winner of a hand. But what I and my readers set out to find out is how she plays it right. and where she goes from there. I think the most interesting part of it for me was the aftermath, was the Senate hearings and seeing how the press was handling it. Right. 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 That did strike me as, wow, you know, we've all seen the James Cameron film, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, some of us, uh, you know, many, many, many times, but (laughs) but, it was terrific, I think. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, it it brought that tragedy, you know, to the modern time, unlike it had ever been before. I mean, there had been other movies, but that one brought it to the modern audience. And so we're really familiar with, you know, we kind of think we know exactly what happened from based on the movie. But to see the aftermath mm-hmm. brings a whole new dimension and a whole new movie that you could make. 
And I, I really appreciated seeing that aspect of it because you, you don't really think too much about what actually happened um, in the days, you know, right after they get to New York. And there are um, things that surprised me finding out from the testimony that there were no binoculars on the ship. Wow. <clears throat> Can you imagine the largest ship ever launched? There, now, there have been some people who have disputed that, but they were not used. <laughs> I can tell you from the testimony of the lookouts. Wow. And, and the other was that there was only one boat that went back to pick up possible survivors. Wow. These people were terribly traumatized and just the incredible number of lives lost. But human instinct to survive kicked yeah. in. And some of the boats were way overflowing. Others were virtually empty. Mm -hmm. And wow. so that was, that came out in the hearings too. And you know, people have to learn to live with all that. Um, yeah. Tough. I said, yeah, what surprised me is that even the crew seemed like totally disorganized about oh, yes. filling the lifeboats. I just, you know, you'd think there'd be a more orderly way, but I guess they had it in their head just like the other people. This was unsinkable huge boat so you know why would they need to know that but i'm sure that th there still weren't going there's they didn't have enough boats as they said early on um uh, just to pick up everybody but especially yeah maybe some of these people like the lady duff were partly responsible but then at the same time there was just no person in charge and, and nobody that really knew what they were doing it seemed like yeah absolutely there wasn't and um and the, and you are right People universally felt they were dealing with an unsinkable boat. It had right. been sold that way. And this is after an era of, you know, ocean travel where you really took your life in your hands to go off to your, or at least more so than we would ever consider possible today. That was very much part of the disaster. And they weren't trained. Uh, there were doors locked that should have been unlocked. It is true uh, overall, 75% of the women passengers survived, but only 25% of the men. Wow. And, uh, and more, way more. First class. First class, it was 60%, I think. And now that was in part uh, discrimination, but it was also where they stored those lifeboats. Right. You know, there were so many things they had to learn from. And the chairman of the White Star Line, as you know, as you know from reading the book, was on the ship, mm -hmm. Bruce, Bruce Ismay. Mm -hmm. And I just came to hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, honest to God, um, he, he, he was so totally corporate and never, he wouldn't even acknowledge. And he was cleared of wrongdoing in the British inquiry, mm -hmm. but his reputation really suffered. Right. And uh, and the fact that his escape was so easy haunted him for the rest of his life. And well, it should have. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and then on the other hand, he may have stepped into, as he claimed, uh, the last empty space on a boat when no one was right there. People were running from one end of the ship to the other trying to find what to do. And. That's, of course, what Lady Duff Gordon claimed, that nobody else was there to get on. So, hey, let's get on with this launching. Uh, I've tried to show the chaos and the uncertainty and some of the anguish and guilt 
and survival instincts that saw people through. I, I have to say, um, Kate, that I'm a native New Yorker. I knew the story of the Titanic. I watched some of the the movie that Millennia had brought up, but I couldn't watch it all because it was so horrific. Mm-hmm. And I never learned um, until your book about the aftermath. I did not know that there were trials in New York. And I loved that historical value that you researched this so greatly. Mm-hmm. And I truly appreciated learning uh, all the things I did learn. And then at the end of the book to read that these characters you you pointed out were actually real Isley and and the the Van Gruffs the Van Druffs. It, it just really astounded me and it was very very raw and I really enjoyed the the work that you did thank you thank you I I appreciate that I it's what I look for when I read historical fiction mm-hmm. I want a spine of truth so that I learned something. And then yes. I want to explore with the author the, only, the, the areas that are open only to our imagination. That's what I get out of, out of historical fiction. And, and I get so perturbed when I see something that's wrong. But you did everything so well in this book. And uh, again, as a native New Yorker, I, I was just so astounded by reading all of this. Well, thank you. So how, speaking of that, how much creative license did you take? Like what aspects of it? Well, the whole story of Tess, Mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of the opening scene, which I built on my mother, Mm -hmm. as I told you, um, her story is fiction. And Pinky Wade, I wanted to get in journalism there. and, And it was a time where women journalists, before they sort of, disappeared for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, this, this was the era of Nellie Bly, and uh, I wanted, I, I was a reporter for 20 years, mm-hmm. and I wanted a, a character, and I thought, what might I have been doing if I were a reporter at that time? Right. And uh, kind of toughness, you, you know, you have to, as a woman... <laughs> It's, uh, it was still not too easy while I was doing it. Yeah, but she had to be, I mean, in 1912, yeah, <laughs> she had to yeah, be tough. Right, right. <laughs> and I loved how, you know, she went about it, you know, hiding out on their boat and they didn't even know that she was there to get, to get on the Carpathia. Well, you know, that's all fictional, of course. But when they, um, the way the press descended on the book carrying the survivors, that, that, scene where they were trying to get on the ship that was true Mm -hmm. they were really trying and when the boat with the survivors was they went by the spot where the titanic went down Mm -hmm. and there were eyewitness accounts of seeing all the debris and one of the most macabre things you know i was always trying to figure out what i could leave in the book and what i had to take out Mm -hmm. because um you know you couldn't do everything. Many of the bodies had not surfaced for weeks after the tragedy. They were caught in the Gulf Stream waters, mm. and they began emerging finally, in some cases as 45 miles from where the Titanic went down, and various ships were reporting these sights, people floating in steamer chairs, mm. a man in full evening dress atop a door, <sighs> a woman floating in a 
in a white nightgown. These were all, oh, I wanted all of this in there. <laughs> I know. Um, the, um, but I basically wanted the fiction part to be the, um, the young woman who works her way through and her, her employer is Lady Duff Gordon. Right. And how she struggles to build a new life uh, as one of those who has inevitably inherited the legacy of surviving. But her struggles are with herself, as she herself wonders about Lady Duff Gordon. So, have I answered that question? I've gone a little... <laughs> no, I, no, no, you did. <laughs> so, did you know from the outset that Tess would choose Jim? No. <laughs> I had some of my readers and one said, no, 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 the other guy. I know. I liked him better <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I thought, you know, what might have been a true outcome? And plus, then people got mad at me because they said they didn't get together at the end. I said, well, there's a hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they do. I thought it was clear that they do. Well, there you are. I left it slightly open, so that, but they had a chance. Yeah. And uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking to myself, which way would you go, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after he even went out of his way to help um, Jim out of that whole mess that Cosmo was trying to bury yeah. him in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Well, I, I actually approved of him her getting with Jim um, okay, because, because of the, the, they're younger, they had more in common, and the other man was twice divorced and whatnot. And, you know, it wasn't going to be easy for them, but uh, I, I saw a hopeful future for the two and of them. Yeah, and they were part of that generation of immigrants where right. that would have been their story from them. And there, and many like them came, the, you know, the powerful growth of this country. And, you know, so I liked that. Start with another newcomer and build together. That's why I did that. Well, I just wanted to tell her, too, how much I enjoyed it. And as you said, it's always good to learn something new. And it wasn't probably until maybe the last 10 years I started uh, reading a lot of historical fiction. But I each novel I've read... Uh, including yours, I've learned new things to add to this uh, base of knowledge you have about different things. And it's a lot easier to me to read it in fiction than to plod through some 500 plus page book where it's kind of dry in the description. Because I like the, the human element where you can have the real life people and then other people, fictional people, where they might be based on people they may or may not have existed at one time. So historical fiction has become one of my favorite genres over the past 10 years. Me too. <laughs> over the past 20. Does anybody want to know about a touch of stardust? Yes. Yes. Please. <laughs> or I don't know wait. If, you're, if you're finished um, with the dressmaker, but I'm, I'm kind of excited. Last night, Turner classic movies is going to feature it this month. Wow. Um, cool. They'll do a, it's their book of the month. Actually, they have two books of the month that they are doing features on and one of them is a touch of stardust tell us about it tell us all about it well this is this is um set against the background of the making of gone with the wind in 1939 and it's centered on the romance 
and love, the full love affair of Carol Lombard, who was the queen of screwball comedies at the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and Clark Gable, who was the king of Hollywood. Right. And <clears throat> these two, their, their vigor and their life and their reality drew me. Also, the movie, which is just, I, I thought it was an incredible movie, uh, and certainly for its time, but it became so popular and, and yet it was always in trouble from the very first minute. And I thought about how do you create something iconic, something magical, something larger than life out of a lot of mistakes and resentments and angry people right. and sleepless people and people complaining that their costumes are too tight. Poor Clark. Lord. <laughs> He wore the he had to wear these really tight pants and he was always complaining about them to his wife. And when you look at him in the movie, yeah, they're tight. <laughs> and um and uh, poor Vivian Lee, she had to wear the you know, the whalebone corsets. David Selznick insisted that everything be authentic for the right, movie. Right. So it the moving of a story, it's it's really the story of the Lombard Gable romance in the in the whole timing of making the gone with the wind and weaving it with the story of uh, a young woman who has come to hollywood she gets a job as an assistant to carol lombard and the man she forms a love interest with and the two couples and how their lives intertwine a lot of fun to write my husband um was of a hollywood family um, his uh, father, my husband, was Frank Mankiewicz. Um, he died a few months ago. Oh, sorry. So, so sorry. Thank you. Um, his father was uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who won the Oscar for writing Citizen Kane. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are they related to Joe? Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe was his uncle. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, he was very helpful to me with my first novel. Anyway, Frank grew up in Beverly Hills. I grew up in L.A., but, oh, Southwest. <laughs> I did not grow, grow up in the affluent place of California. <laughs> we, and we were quite a few years apart in age. Uh, Frank would tell me the stories. And I, sometimes we'd sit at the dinner table, and I'd say, okay, tell me again, what was it like to have F. Scott Fitzgerald sitting at your dinner table? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, wow. Or various people. So I have in uh, A Touch of Stardust, it was fun to go visit <sighs> Frank's home. He wow. told me how the furniture was arranged <laughs> wow. and have one of the dinner parties that his parents would hold. So, you know, it was uh, those things were fun and bringing to life. And it, it's Fabulous era. That well, was- I'm sold. <laughs> when is it coming out? When is it? It's officially out on the 17th of February. Mm-hmm. The books will be released. Oh wow! Sale. Cool. Uh, when when you mentioned uh, Carol Lombard, my my I came from an artistic family, and I'm sitting right below a picture of Carol Lombard that my grandfather had done in pastels. Oh. So I'm sitting here gazing at this and listening to you. And and I have to say that I had never read you before, before The Dressmaker. But I think I'm going to be, you know, on Amazon now uh, a little bit more and and downloading your books because I I totally was 
involved in in the dressmaker i didn't want to put it down and and you're making me you're yearning uh making me yearn for stardust right now <laughs> so um this is just it, it makes me feel so good talking to you and and enjoying listening to you and everything i greatly appreciate it oh thank you yes and i chime in there too because i love old hollywood I can't wait to read this book because <laughs> I love Gone with the Wind and, mm. you know, yeah. the, the the golden age of Hollywood and all that stuff. I, I just love it. So this is right up my alley. Me too. Me too. Yes, definitely. I can't remember the name. It's been too many years ago, but it seems like back in the 60s, there was even a weekly program that had things about different parts of the golden age of Hollywood. And it was just fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, watch TCM. You know, my, my stepson is one of the hosts of Turner Classic Movies, Ben yes. Mankwitz. Wow. Yes. Yes. Watch, you know, and, and do you perchance <laughs> Do you perchance know the Clooney's as well? I mean, because <laughs> Nick George Clooney, Clooney, his yeah. father, uh, my husband Nick knew Clooney. his father and I've met him. Yes. Oh, wow. I mean, because I, I love looking. Sure. Looking at Nick Clooney as he introduces movies and and um, he does his retrospects on on the movies and everything because I mean I loved Gone with the Wind but it also came out with The Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. same year and they were both head to head with the Oscars and everything but I mean it, it was just a phenomenal era yeah and in really Hollywood. Was. And and I really enjoyed all those movies and everything. Well, it was, you know, it was interesting in writing about him. It was easy to bring Carol to life because she just bounced off the pages of whatever mm. I was reading about her. And she just, I just fell in love with her. Clark was a little harder mm. uh, until I began realizing the theme, sort of the, of his uncertainty about himself. And, um, and you think, it got me thinking about how so many people in Hollywood come from, they come from far behind. They don't start out with huge advantages and they, they have to prove themselves. And what was really helpful was going back as much as I could to look at some of the screen tests mm. of actors and actresses when they were first beginning their careers. You see the uncertainty. You see that need to sell yourself. You, right. see, that, you see that hope to succeed. And I thought that's what everybody feels. In what's mm-hmm. whatever it is that they are trying to be or do, exactly. So it's, it's, it's human nature, mm-hmm. and and yet you're making it magical at the same time. Even though it's it's heartbreaking at sometimes with the dressmaker, mm-hmm. um, you bring it to such a vivid life, which which really I I enjoyed. Yeah, you, because you made that really well. Yeah, because I really didn't like Lucille at all. And then she had that moment that I thought was so pure when she basically made no apologies for the decision she made. And she explained herself. And then, you know, I kind of understood because mm-hmm. it was like she said, look, you know, everyone has to look out for themselves. Yeah. And she was basically saying, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do it a bit different because I was trying to save myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes down to a fight or flight instinct. Mm-hmm. And and um, I'm very familiar with that and whatnot and and it just yeah you you made it real you made her real yeah and even though she was already but i mean it was really a good good story 
Oh, great. Thank well, you. Well, we don't want to keep you um, any longer <laughs> to get back to your family, but thank you so much. That's going to be our discussion of The Dressmaker by Kate Alcott. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And thank you again, Kate, for taking the time to chat with us and sharing everything you did about it. And we want to remind listeners that A Touch of Stardust will be out February 17th. That's right. And it'll be available wherever books are sold. Please go check it out and check out. Well, if you're listening to this, you should have already checked out The Dressmaker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But get A Touch of Stardust February 17th. And as always, please continue to to leave us your comments down below. And uh, stay tuned for next episode. Next month, we'll be discussing All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dewar. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye Bye-bye.